Hello, this is Dr. Peng Xianqian, the Editor-in-Chief of Harvardism. The October issue is a focus issue on sudden cardiac death. The first article is titled, Global Approaches to Cardiogenetic Evaluation After Sudden Cardiac Death in the Young, a survey among healthcare professionals. A survey was administered among healthcare professionals recruited through professional associations, social media, and network of researchers. Only 30% reported autopsy as mandatory, and the overall practices were largely case-by-case and not standardized. North American respondents more often perceived practices as ineffective compared to those from Europe and Australia, New Zealand, where a heritable cause is suspected. 69% considered post-mortem genetic testing and 61% offered genetic counseling to surviving family members. In conclusion, post-mortem genetic testing is not consistently available in the investigation of young sudden cardiac deaths despite being a recommendation in international guidelines. Access to post-mortem genetic testing, which is critical in ascertaining the cause of death in many cases, must be guided by well-resourced multidisciplinary teams. Next up is six differences in the origin of Purkinje ectopy initiating idiopathic ventricular fibrillation. Purkinje ectopies are major triggers of idiopathic VF. The authors studied 73 patients, of whom 32 had a history of syncope and 44 patients had a VF at rest. Purkinje ectopies originated from the RV in 41 patients, or 49%, from the LV in 36, or 44%, and from both ventricles in 6, or 7%. RV Purkinje ectopies were more frequent in men than in women, whereas LV and biventricular Purkinje ectopies were more frequent in women. The authors conclude that Purkinje ectopies triggering idiopathic VF is a sex-related arrhythmia similar to Bugatta syndrome or Long QT syndrome. Sex-based factors influencing Purkinje arrhythmogenicity warrant investigation. The next paper is Nationwide Burden of Sudden Cardiac Death, a study of 54,028 deaths in Denmark. There were 50,028 deaths in Denmark in 2010, of which 6,867, or 13%, were categorized as sudden cardiac death. The instance rate of definite sudden cardiac death was 11 per 100,000 person years, including definite, probable, and possible sudden cardiac death cases the highest possible overall sudden cardiac death instance rate was 124 per 100,000 person years. Almost half of all sudden cardiac death cases occurred in persons without a history of cardiovascular disease. Consequently, the optimization of risk stratification 
and prevention of sudden cardiac deaths in the general population should be given high priority. Coming up is echocardiographic deformation imaging unmasks global and regional mechanical dysfunction in patients with idiopathic ventricular fibrillation. Echocardiograms were analyzed with deformation imaging by two-dimensional speckle tracking. In total, 47 idiopathic VF patients and 47 healthy controls were included. Idiopathic VF patients showed more global deformation abnormalities as indicated by lower LV global longitudinal strain and higher LV mechanical dispersion. In addition, idiopathic VF patients showed more regional LV post-systolic shortening compared to healthy controls. Abnormal RV deformation patterns were observed in 16% of idiopathic VF patients and in none of the control subjects. This study provides evidence that localized myocardial disease is present in a subset of idiopathic VF patients. The next article is Role of Endocardial Ablation in Eliminating an Epicardial Arrhythmogenic Substrate in Patients with Brugada Syndrome. This study included 16 Brugada Syndrome patients with previous VF including 10 with an electrical storm. Epicardial abnormal potentials were present in the epicardial RV outflow tract in all patients, and RV inferior wall in 12 or 75% of the patients. Partial epicardial abnormal potentials, uh, elimination by endocardial RV ablation was feasible in all 10 patients. After the procedure, VF remained inducible in 37.5% of the patients. During the 25.1 months of follow-up, no patients experienced an electrical storm and the VF burden significantly decreased. The authors conclude that endocardial ablation is feasible to eliminate some epicardial abnormal potentials and may be combined with epicardial ablation. Up next is post-infarct ventricular tachycardia substrate, characterization and ablation of conduction channels using ripple mapping. Ripple maps of post-infarct scar were collected using the pentaray during normal rhythm in 11 patients. Scar potential timing ranged from 98 plus minus 61 milliseconds to 214 plus minus 90 milliseconds post-QRS peak. Earliest scar potentials were present at the border, occupying 16% of scar, whereas latest scar potentials occupied 4.8% at the opposing border or core. It was possible to eliminate latest scar potentials in all patients without direct ablation. No VT recurrence was recorded after a mean follow-up of 10.1 months. The authors conclude 
that conduction channels can be located using ripple mapping to analyze scar potentials. Ablation at the channel entrances can eliminate the latest scar potentials and is associated with good median-term results. Up next is clinical characteristics and the risk of arrhythmic events in patients younger than 12 years diagnosed with Brugada syndrome. 43 patients younger than 12 years at the time of diagnosis were included. The median follow-up was 3.97 years. The authors found that a spontaneous type 1 Brugada ECG pattern is not associated with a higher instance of syncope, first-degree atrioventricular block, premature beats, non-malignant and malignant arrhythmia events, then the drug fever-induced type 1 Brugada ECG pattern. Syncope events are correlated with an increased instance of malignant arrhythmia events. Moreover, SCM5A mutations are associated with a higher occurrence of malignant arrhythmic events. Next paper is identification of a SCM5A founder mutation causing sudden death, Brugada syndrome, and the conduction blocks in southern Italy. The authors used a haplotype-based approach to investigate whether two SCN5A genetic variants could derive from founder events. One SCN5A variant, P.glutamine1118-threonine, was identified in three provinces with Bugatti syndrome originating from South Italy. The clinical presentation included multi-generational dominant transmission of Bugatta electrocardiographic pattern, high incidence of sudden cardiac death, and cardiac conduction defects. Variance age estimates suggested that the origin of the variant dates back 76 generations. A second SCN5A variant identified in the region did not show similar founder signal. The authors conclude that they found a novel founder mutation. They illustrate how these findings provide insights on the inheritance patterns and the phenotypes associated with SCN5A mutation. In addition to the sudden death focused papers, we also have the following papers in this issue of the journal. The first one is titled Impact of a predefined pacemapping protocol use for ablation of infrequent premature ventricular complexes, a prospective multicenter study. Of 185 patients, 60 or 32% underwent pacemapping guided ablation. Mean number of pacemapping matching points acquired was 39 plus minus 21. Significantly shorter procedural as well as RF times were needed in pace mapping group using the protocol uh, proposed than in activation mapping guided ablation. Global clinical success reached was 87% for 
for the pace mapping group and 90% for local activation mapping group. The authors conclude that when local activation time mapping is precluded, application of a pace mapping guided ablation protocol directly to greater than 94% matching correlation target area is a more efficient alternative with comparable clinical results. Up next is simple electrophysiological predictor of QRS change induced by cardiac resynchronization therapy, a novel marker of complete left bundle branch block. The authors hypothesized that the absence of QRS duration prolongation by RV mid-septal pacing may indicate complete left bundle branch block. 133 consecutive patients were included in the study. They found that the absence of QRS duration prolongation by RV pacing may serve as an alternative and more specific marker of complete left bundle branch block. Delta RV pacing correlates strongly with the CRT effect on QRS duration and outperforms the predictive value of ECG-based complete LBBB. The next paper is titled Long-Term Outcomes and Periprocedural Safety and Efficacy of Percutaneous Left Atrial Appendage Closure in a UK Tertiary Center, 11-year experience. Device implantation was attempted in 229 patients with an acute procedural success rate of 98.2% and low rate of major procedural complications of 2.6% at 30 days, including 1.3% procedure-related mortality. Over total follow-up 889 patient years, there were low rates of thromboembolic and significant bleeding events. The authors found that left atrial appendage occlusion with the same-day discharge strategy and early cessation of antiplatelet therapy seems to be safe and effective in reducing the risk of stroke and major bleeding over mean follow-up approaching four years. Coming up next is late arrhythmias in patients with new-onset persistent left bundle branch block after transcaster aortic valve replacement using a balloon expandable valve. This was a multicenter prospective study that included 104 consecutive TAVR patients with new-onset persistent LBBB following TAVR with the S3 valve. An implantable cardio monitor Reveal XT, Reveal Link Q, was implanted before discharge. The authors found that S3 valve recipients with a new onset LBBB have a high arrhythmic burden, with more than one third of patients exhibiting at least one significant arrhythmic episode within 12 months. About one half of Brady arrhythmic events occurred within four weeks after discharge. These results should inform future strategies on the use of continuous electrocardiographic monitoring in TAVR S3 patients with new conduction disturbances following the procedure. 
The next paper is Static Magnetic Field Measurements of Smartphones and watch, Watches and Applicability of Triggering Magnet Mode in Implantable Pacemakers and Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillators. The static magnetic fields of the iPhone 12 models and the Apple Watch were measured at several planes in 1 cm resolution. The results show that all iPhone 12 and Apple Watch 6 models tested have static magnetic fields significantly greater than 10G in close proximity, that is 1 to 11 mm, which attenuates to below 10G between 11 and 20 mm. These results support the U.S. Food and Drug Administration recommendation that patients keep any consumer electronic devices that may create magnetic interference, including cell phones and smartwatches, at least six inches away from implanted medical devices, in particular pacemakers and the defibrillators. Up next is aortico renal ganglion as a novel target for renal neuromodulation. 28 pigs were studied. Compared to RA stimulation, aortico-renal ganglion stimulation yielded greater hemodynamic responses during alpha-chloralose anesthesia. Radiofrequency ablation of the aortico-renal ganglion eliminated responses to both RA and aortico-renal ganglion stimulation whereas RA ablation did not eliminate responses to ARG stimulation. These findings indicate that the aortico-renal ganglion may be a novel target for renal neuromodulation. Further studies are warranted to validate these findings. Coming up is tachypacin-induced CREB-CD44 signaling contributes to the suppression of L-type calcium channel expression and the development of atrial remodeling. Atrial fibrillation is characterized as downregulation of L-type calcium channel and the shortening of atrial APD. The purpose of this study was to explore the potential role of CD44 and its related signaling in tachypacin-induced downregulation of L-type calcium channel. The authors performed in vitro studies using tachypacin in atrium-derived myocyte, which is HL1 cell line. Tachypacin promoted an association between CREP and CD44 in HL1 myocytes. Atrial myocytes isolated from mice with homozygous CD44 knockout exhibited higher L-type calcium current and longer APD than those from wild-type mice. The authors conclude that tachypacin-induced CREP CD44 signaling contributes to the suppression of L-type calcium channel, which provides valuable information about the pathogenesis of atrial modeling and atrial fibrillation. Up next is safety efficacy and the monitoring of bipolar radiofrequency ablation in beating myopathic human and healthy swine hearts. 16 beating ex vivo human and swine hearts were studied 
in a Langendorf setup. 92 bipolar ablations using two 4mm irrigated casters were performed at settings of 20 to 50 watts, 60 seconds, and 30 ml per minute irrigation in left ventricle. The authors found that bipolar RF ablation at the power of 20 to 30 watts provided an ideal balance of safety and efficacy, whereas power greater than equal 40 watts should be used with caution due to high incidence of steam pops. Lesion transmurality monitoring and steam pop avoidance were best achieved using transmyocardial bipolar electrogram voltage and circuit impedance, respectively. Next up is deficiency of CXXC finger protein 1 leads to small changes in heart rates, but moderate epigenetic alterations and a significant protein downregulation of hyperpolarization-activated cyclic nucleotide-gated 4 or HCM4 ion channels in mice. The normal cardiac rhythm is generated in the sinoatrial node. CXXC finger protein 1, or CFP1, is an epigenetic regulator that is involved in transcriptional regulation of multiple genes. The purpose of this study was to explore whether CFP1 controls sinoatrial node function through regulation of ion channel related genes. The study used CFP1 heterozygous knockout mice. Chromatin immunoprecipitation assay on cultured HL1 cells demonstrated that CFP1 was enriched in the promoter regions of HCM4. Knockdown of CFP1 reduced H3K4 trimethylation. H3K9 acetylation and H3K27 acetylation of HCM4 promoter region. The authors conclude that deficiency of CFP1 leads to small changes in heart rate by moderate epigenetic modification alterations and significant protein downregulation of HCM4 ion channels in mice. The last original article is titled Atrial Heat Shock Protein Levels Are Associated with Early Postoperative and Persistence of Atrial Fibrillation. Patients without AF with paroxysmal persistent or long-standing persistent AF were included. The results show that HSPA5RA appendage and HSPD1RA appendage and LA appendage levels are altered in persistent stages of atrial fibrillation. RA appendage HSPA1 and HSPA5 levels associate with development of postoperative atrial fibrillation. Additionally, HSPB1 right atrial appendage and HSPA5 left atrial appendage levels can predict atrial fibrillation recurrence in patients who underwent arrhythmia surgery. Nevertheless, HSP levels in serine cannot discriminate AF stages from controls 
nor predict post-operative atrial fibrillation or AF recurrence after treatment. The above original articles are followed by a Creative Concepts article titled Sub-Serratus Implantation of the Subcutaneous Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillator. There is a point of view written by Dr. Kulawei Nadimani titled Radio Frequency Ablation in Brugada Syndrome. This article is the 10th entry in our series of articles to celebrate the 30th year of RF ablation. I hope you enjoy this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm the Editor-in-Chief, Dr. Pinxian Chen.